I just want to welcome you all here today to City Light Church. I really appreciate that you guys made the effort to come an hour early. Thank you for that. <laughs> See, it's, no one's laughing because you're so tired. She didn't get to sleep in, right? I know the clocks went an hour ahead, but this is the best place we can be. And God has given me a word today that I think will touch all of our hearts and will just help to equip us with what's to come in this year and the, and the years to follow and just really prepare his church. Last week, Pastor Doug kicked off this sermon, and it's called Be the Church. And I love this. What do you think of when you hear Be the Church? Some of you here might think, well, how can I be the church? After all, isn't the church just a building? Yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> and the truth is, some people here do think that. They think it's the four walls, the roof, this cross on the wall over there. But when you get into Scripture, and you read through the New Testament, and you get into Paul's letters, you begin to understand that the church is so much more, right? The church is you, the church is me, the church is a body. It's not a what, it's a who. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. With this understanding, when you hear be the church, you understand that to attend church, that's not enough. We are called to be part of something greater than ourselves, to serve a greater purpose, to serve his purpose. Be the church. This also implies an action. You hear that word be, right? We need to get out. We need to do something. Just like all the parts of the body serve a purpose, so does each one of us serve a purpose within the body of Christ. And this may seem elementary to some of you guys. You may think, I've heard this message before. But I want you to think of it more as foundational. This is our foundation. We must get this deep inside of our souls. We must live a Christ-centered church and be a Christ-centered community and enact our vision here at City Light Church, which I'm sure everyone knows is reaching people for Jesus. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that this is the day you have made. God, we, we rejoiced and we're glad in it. And even though we had to get here an hour earlier, we're so happy. and We're so excited. God, we're so hungry to hear from you, Father. So today I pray that you would answer this hunger, God, and you would give me words to tell your people, God, so that we may leave here full, full of you, Jesus, the only thing that truly satisfies. Amen. So I believe there's some pressing questions that we need to get in today. I have them on our PowerPoint. There's three questions. First one, how do we become part of the body? And next, how do we figure out our role in the body? And finally, how do we become unified as a body? If I can begin to answer these questions, give you some clarity, I believe God will be able to move in our church. We'll be able to move our church in the same direction, and we'll be able to see God moving through the Spirit to accomplish His will. That's all the goal is. His will in our lives. So let's start with that first question. How do we know? How do we know? So if you're coming to this church and you've given your life to Jesus, I want to assure you that you're part of the body. Make no mistake, because God, he doesn't make mistakes. There's a reason you're here. There's a reason you're here at this place, at this time. God has a purpose for you. There's something God wants you to do that only you can do. Only you can function in this way and perform that task. That being said, we shouldn't get hung up on what we are to do. We shouldn't get hung up on the doing part of it. You are part of the body by simply being. 
That's my point there. Growing up, my dad used to tease my mom all the time, and he said, you're a human doing, not a human being. And it drove her crazy. But my mom was always doing something. She was always cooking, always working, always had to get done. She had busy hands, right? I don't know why she felt this way. Maybe she thought that her accomplishments is where her worth was, but she's always had to be doing something. And sometimes a church fails its members by prioritizing its actions over putting the importance on who we are. We've got to get this. Being the type of people that please and bring honor to God is more important than doing something for God. Right? Being a people that please and honor God is more important than doing something for God. We put the cart before the horse sometimes when we start doing things for the church, and we haven't taken that time to get on the same page as God. Right? We haven't spent that time in our personal relationship. God wants us to obey Him, but God will never violate His commands to get a task done. That's plain and simple. Nothing is going to go against the word of God. Nothing is going to go against what he has done in the past. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So if you ever feel like God is calling to something and, and you, you don't know, well, you got to check it with the scriptures. you got to go back to what God has said. you gotta, you got to get deep into his will because he will not violate his commands. His commands are true, and he'll never go against them. And this is why spiritual disciplines are so important when we become part of the body. Prayer, worship, Reading the Bible, getting into God's Word will help us to truly know God's heart. This will lead us to an understanding of God's will, which in turn will help us to obey. It starts with a relationship with Jesus, right? Seek Him first. Seek God's kingdom first, and everything will be added unto you. We have to get the priority in order. Don't put the cart before the horse. Get your personal relationship with God right. Then when we come together as a church, we will be equipped and we'll be filled, and we'll be ready to get into action. You know, as a, a framer, I will get a set of prints from the general contractor, wants to make this building, and I look at these prints, and step by step, everything's there. It says this wall goes here, this goes over there, and I begin to build the house. Now, what would happen if this general contractor gave me a set of prints and gave a different set of prints to the guy doing the siding, a different set of prints to the truss manufacturer, a different set of prints to the plumber and to the HVAC guy, a different set to the cabinet guy, a different set to the electrician, what would happen? The electrician might be okay because they do whatever they feel like. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) But no, honestly, it would be chaos. Nothing would get done. Everything would be out of order. And honestly, people would get so angry and so frustrated and they would start yelling at each other because this has happened, right? I remember one time I was framing a house and I go downstairs, start the basement. I noticed the plumber had put a pipe right through the window, like right in front of the window. I'm like, that's not right. I can't. (laughs) So to make a long story short, I ended up having to move the window because there was a change and an update, but I didn't have the updated print. So I framed it according to. And this can happen in our church, right? Think of a church in the same way. God has a plan for this church. And what happens if we all have a different plan? When we don't spend time in God's presence, we will not know his will. And we can end up trying to do our own plan, which is even worse. And if everyone here is doing their own thing, nothing will get done. We won't accomplish anything. That's why we need to get on God's timeline. God's purpose. We need to see God's picture. So you're part of the body if you are a Christian and you attend here. Second question, how do we figure out our role in the body? How do we figure that out? Well, let's start off. There's many parts. 
I'm going to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or another you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between the spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of these tongues. So all these are the work of the one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So we read through this text and you can pull out some truths to help us determine what part of the body we are. We notice all these different kinds of service. These different kinds of working, we see we're given messages of wisdom and knowledge. We see faith and healing and miraculous powers. We see prophecy and distinguishing the spirits. And we see speaking in tongues and the interpretation of these tongues. Now, the Spirit moved through the early church. He gave people all of these gifts. And the Spirit's still moving today, still giving people gifts. The place we need to start is to determine what we have and where we have. So we have to figure out who's giving us these gifts. Who is it? It's in this, this passage here, right? Is it the pastor? Is it the best looking person in the room? Is it the most righteous? Is it the loudest person in the room? Is it the oldest person? No. It says that it is through the spirit that we are given these gifts. When we act within these gifts, that is called the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And all that means, that's just a fancy word for seeing the spirit at work. You want to see Jesus? You want to see Jesus moving? It's when we're acting in what we're called to be. And the Spirit will tell you who you are. Keep the body in mind. Each person here is given a function. An eye is going to have the ability to see. An ear will have the ability to hear. A hand can go out and do something. When a person is missing in this equation, and they're not performing their function, then the whole body will suffer. A church who has all of its working members together, we're going to be able to function just great, and we're going to be able to take on the world for Jesus. We're going to be able to be more productive. Also keep in mind, not only will the church suffer if you are not functioning the way the Spirit has called you, but you yourself are also going to suffer. What good is an eye off on its own, keeps to itself, seeing all these great things, but never being able to do anything about it, right? They're never able to accomplish anything on their own. This is why it is so important to not only know where God has called you, but also to live it out. Obedience, right? Obedience can be a tricky thing to talk about in the church. I personally feel that the church has gotten it wrong sometimes. Not this church, of course. But faith, faith is not blind, right? You hear that sometimes, like blind faith. We don't follow God's way simply because a pastor tells you to, right? We can hear all these great sermons in the world But unless we listen to them and put them into action, we're no further ahead, right? It's just like that seed that falls on that ground, and and there's never a plant. Nothing ever grows, 
We don't see anything coming from it. It's all this work in vain, and we don't want that. We don't follow God's wills because we're told to. It's all about relationship. It's not about doing things for the sake of doing them either. God made us to be, right? But it always comes back to relationship. A relationship with Jesus, but also a relationship with one another. If I hear my wife and I hear her asking me to do something and I just dismiss it or I dismiss her feelings, that's not building a good, healthy relationship. If I ask my kids to go out and do something, they're like, yeah, yeah, dad, sure, we'll do it. But they never do it. That's not building a healthy relationship. Jesus has asked us to love one another. He asked us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus loves the church so much. The church is described as his bride. But we need to listen and act like Jesus. It doesn't make us his servants. It doesn't make us robots. You know what it makes us? It makes us his friends. It says in John chapter 15, verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus will always be your friend. He'll always love you. He gave his life for you. But if you want to be a friend of Jesus, then you need to listen to him and you need to do what he asked you to do. That's how we are a friend of Jesus. We're obedient through a loving relationship with Jesus, not out of fear, not out of obligation. God has gifted us all through the Spirit. As you are in a church longer and longer and you attend a small group, your brothers and sisters are going to come around you and they're going to be able to help you out and say, you know, I recognize this in you or you're good at this, or I feel you may be called in that. God's going to plant something in you, and you're going to become so passionate about it that you can't even keep it in. And you'll bring it to the church and be like, I really want to start this ministry. I really want to live this out. I really want to act this way. I feel called to this. And that is how we realize what part of the body we are. And never think that the part you're called to is too small. Never think you're not good enough. Right? You may look at your little toe and think, like, that's good for nothing. Why do we have these little baby toes in our body, Right? But if you lose it, you'll sure miss it because it helps balance us when we walk and when we run. And we don't want to be a church that's unbalanced. So even if the Lord's called you to something as small as being a little toe, serve in that capacity with all you have. Don't feel you're not good enough. We need all those people who are faithfully serving behind the scenes, right? That is such an important role. Remember, it is God who calls you and it is God who equips you. Don't think you're not good enough. If God's calling you to something, he's going to get you there. He's going to take you through it, and he will prepare you. Believe me, I know. There is many times where I think, like, there's no way I can get up here and do this. There's no way I can preach. But God comes through time and time again. Because if he calls you to it, he will equip you to do his will. And this brings us to this third question. I believe this is the most important question we need to be asking. How do we become unified as a body? Well, let's start out with why unity is important. Unity is important because if we are unified, we will be able to accomplish anything. I mean that, anything. Unity unity is so powerful. And in the same way, division can be so destructive. They're at odds. There was a time when the earth came together to build a tower. And I mean, if there's something we can get on board with as a people, it's a building project, right? Like we love to build. It's why we love Lego and and all these things. And we just get together like, yeah, let's build something. Let's do something. These people get together and they start building the Tower of Babel. And this is found in Genesis chapter 11, this story. It's a great story. 
But God looks at the people building this tower to bring glory to themselves. And he says in verse 6, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Why? Because they're working together. And God sees their unity and the power in it, but he realizes it's not to bring glory to him. So God divides the people. He causes them all to speak a different language. And then they're not able to communicate. And they can't keep building this tower. And they all scatter. And it doesn't get done. The takeaway is if we work together, nothing is impossible. I look at church history and there's all these fractures and there's all these divisions and we have all these denominations we've created and it's caused by a number of reasons. But I can't help but think if the followers of Christ came together, we figured out how to do this thing, then nothing would be impossible for us as a church. Right? If we actually worked together, if we were truly in unity, billions of Christians across the world, could you imagine what we could do? And yet, it seems sometimes like an uphill battle. And like we can't accomplish anything for Jesus. And it's because of this thing, division, and because of disunity. And that is why unity is so important. So the question again, how do we become unified? Let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 20. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If parts in the body, every one of them, oh, did I get that right? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. That's all about being unified. We become unified through the Spirit. The same spirit that calls you and tells you where you are to be in this church, in this body, is the same spirit that will unify us. It's all by the spirit. There is so much power in the Holy Spirit, right? So much power. You look at Jesus. He rose from the grave. He ascends into heaven. He leaves us the Great Commission. This is an amazing thing that Jesus does. But he doesn't leave us alone. He leaves behind a helper. And Jesus said himself, in John 16, 7, that it would be better when he was gone and the Spirit was here. That's crazy to me. We're better off with the Spirit than we are with God in human form. Let that sink in for a minute. So many people come to me and they're like, man, if I was alive during the time of Jesus, then I would believe. If I could see him, if I could touch him, if I could hear him, if I could see him performing miracles, it'd be so much easier. If Jesus were here today and I could talk to him and I could ask him questions, you know, my faith would be so much stronger. But God himself, Jesus himself told us it is to our advantage that he leaves. How can that be? How can it be to our advantage that he leaves? And I think sometimes we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. We make it so small. We make it so little. We put it in a box. We call it the Holy Spirit and we just say, you know, it's over here. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's a person. 
right? A thing that was like a person that we're supposed to be in a loving relationship with. Let me remind you of what happened when the believers first sensed the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were gathered all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the, word, the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does that mean when you see that happen? Like, do you not get a sense in the story? Do you not realize how powerful this is? This is crazy. Jesus leaves a helper for the church and his helper unifies them. Remember when I was talking about the Tower of Babel and God mixed up all of their languages and he caused this disunity because he didn't want them working together and it was all because they couldn't speak, they couldn't communicate, they couldn't get together. And here on this day of Pentecost, we see the Spirit move in a powerful way and he brings it all back together. It comes full circle and we see God allowing the people to understand one another, allowing them to communicate. It said that every single uh, tribe under heaven was represented here that day. And they all heard in their own language. And it's all about being unified. The Spirit was received by all that day. This is the beginning of the church. This is what starts the church. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 41. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They're asking again, what do you do? What, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, baptize, receive. Repent, baptize, receive. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 members, one day. That's a church service, right? That's, that's a revival. That's people coming to know the Lord for the first time. That's truly what revival is. It's people being awoken to the, the wonders of Jesus and who he is and what he did for us and feeling so compelled to make a choice that will change their lives forever. That is what happens when we see that salvation. Be the church. What a great thing to say. Be the church. This is a call to action. It's a call to action. You know, I, I need to be honest with you guys, and I must repent that I've allowed too many opportunities pass me by. Sometimes I turn a blind eye to people in need. I've convinced myself that I can only do so much. I say to myself, you know, someone else is going to step in. There's always someone else. I've thought at times that this isn't my battle to fight. Maybe 
Maybe I can just support from the sidelines. Maybe I can just, just give something here or there. And I've talked myself into thinking that it's enough to talk about all the wrong that is in the world and do nothing. Just talk and talk and talk. Can you relate? You get together with people and you just talk about it. Just talk and talk and talk and complain. Right? Those who complain, they remain. They do. Nothing happens for Jesus. We are under attack. The church is under attack. We can't do things the way we've always done them and expect a different result. Do you know what that is? That's the definition of insanity. To keep on doing the same thing and expect something different. And yet I see the church doing the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And somehow we expect something different to happen. God has called us to put new wine into new wine skins. New wine into new wine skins. You know, sometimes God gives me a new word, a new revelation, something so profound. And what do I do? I just put it in an old wineskin. I just say it the way it's always been said. I just do the same thing over in the same way. It's a new thing. It's God's word. It's good. But I put it in this old wineskin that's tattered and torn. And it's holy. And I don't mean set apart for God. I mean, it's full of holes. And what happens when I pour that new wineskin is, is it pours out of those holes all onto the ground and it's left for nothing. And I'm just sitting there holding this old wineskin saying, God, why aren't you moving? Why aren't you doing something in your church? Why isn't there new revelation? We sing that song, revelation song. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're just saying the words. We're just talking. Are we still just talking? I don't mean to sound crass. But the church today, it can seem a little dried up. The church today can seem a little irrelevant. I know I hear people say that. Like, where is the church relevant in today's society? With everything that's going on in the world, where does the church fit in? The church shouldn't fit in. Are you kidding me? No, the world needs to fit into what we're doing. The church is leading the way. The church doesn't respond. The church acts. And then the world reacts. We need to stop reacting to what is going on in the world today and start taking the first step. Amen? Amen. This is not God's desire for his people. God is equipping us. God is arming us. And God is bringing us together in unity. I sense it is so important that every member here today, even at City Light, we just get so unified. Because God wants to do a great work. God is raising up a generation of truth seekers. I see it in my kids. I see it in teenagers today. And these people, they want to know the truth. And they, have, they can detect what is truth and what is false, right? With social media and all these deep fakes and everything out there, they're wondering, like, is this real? There could be something right before their eyes, and they're just looking at it, and they're like, something's off. Something's not real about this. Like, if you want to talk to them today, and you want to, you want to meet them and build a relationship with them, you better be sure you're being honest. You better be sure you be authentic, because they can tell what's going on. They know how you live your life just by looking at you. It's unreal. They can cut you to the core. And with that, like, ability to discern and see the truth, we need to all more be people that are living the truth. And when they're seeking for the truth, we know that the truth is a person. The Word of God is a person. It's Jesus, right? Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And I believe in his church. I believe in his body. And we will do his will. God has placed us here in this place at this time for a purpose, I urge you guys here, turn from your wicked ways. Humble yourself. Pray like you've never prayed before. Pray in tongues. Pray in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We need to be building that relationship. 
Jesus isn't here in human form. He's left his spirit. Each and every one of us can have him inside of us. Each and every one of us can live out these gifts. It's amazing. The spirit will guide you. We serve God who is alive, right? We serve a living God. A living God. We need to wake up. We say God is on the move, right? If God is truly on the move, I want to be on the move. If God is doing something, I want to be doing something, right? It's not just enough to talk about it, right? Give of yourself. And maybe you need something in your own life. Maybe you're saying, I need a healing. I need financial um, freedom. Maybe you're saying that I need people around me. I need emotional support. And that's great. You do need those things. Can I tell you, if you need those things, then start giving those things. If you need money, then start giving money. If you need a healing, start praying for all those around you that the Spirit would heal them. Pray for them. If you need relationships in your life, go out and make a friend. Talk to people. Share about yourself. Start an authentic relationship, and then you're going to start having those things. Don't just talk about what you don't have, but go out and give what you do have. That's why we are members of the body. We need to be in action. I tell you today, you're members of the body. The Spirit will place you where you are needed. And if we are unified in the Spirit, then there's nothing, nothing that we're not able to accomplish for Jesus. This is what I believe. And when I talk about new wineskins, new wine, and I know that's, that's something really like a biblical reference, and, and you guys might not get it, but it's basically just doing something new, doing it in a new way. And so what is the new wineskin? It, it goes back to Scripture. I believe it's found in 1 John Chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. And this is the call for the church today. This is how God wants us to be living the church. So let's read through it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Talking about Jesus and the word of God. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, seen it, we've heard it, so that you may also have fellowship with us. This fellowship, that's the church, coming together. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. This is only the beginning. It's a place to start from. Right? Looking, looking inward, starting with that relationship and saying, you know, what sin do I have in my life? What parts am I keeping away from God? Where have I fallen away? We all could be doing so much more for Jesus, but it all starts with walking in the light I heard this quote, and it said, you know, when darkness comes, you don't flee, you light a match. And all that's saying is that we need to be the light, right? The world is dark. It's, it's corrupt. 
We know this. There's things out there, and, and people are having so much trouble with their identity, not knowing who their identity is in, trying to make up their own identity. Let's be the light to those people. Let's hold true to the name City Light, and let's be that church that's a light on a hill, right, that shines out into Lethbridge. And people can look to us, and they can be like, yes, those people. You know, I know, I know they're sinners, right? It says that here. We've sinned, but we're honest, and we've repented, and we're turning to the light. If we want to reach people for Jesus, this is where we need to start. Guys, we need to humble ourselves. It's not easy, but it is imperative. We need to start at a place and humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness. So let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you right now. God, you say that we're living sacrifices, living sacrifices for you, God. And I just ask that everyone here today would would get a hold of who you are and the sacrifice that you made for them by just sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, if you sent Jesus and you did send Jesus, we need to accept that forgiveness. We need to be honest about needing that forgiveness, Lord, and, and our land needs that forgiveness. Our land needs that healing today, Father. You are a miracle worker, a way maker. God, you're light in the darkness, Jesus. You're light in the darkness. Father, I pray that you would let your light shine to all men. May we be the ones that bring that light into those dark places, God. God, set us apart for you. Unity. Unity is the cry of our hearts, Lord. Lay down all of our selfish pride that only gets in the way. God, we humble ourselves. We come to you. We ask that you would heal our land. You would save our souls, Father. If you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, I just want to take time to pray with you. And maybe you don't know how sincere it is or you just don't know if your relationship is, is real with him or not. You know, if that's you here today, then you need to say this prayer. You need to say this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I know only you can take away the sin in my life. God, I ask you to forgive me. I ask for you to make a new home in my heart. I give my life to you. I make you Lord and King over my life. And I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me.